Welcome to Female Inner Power, the podcast for women who don't want to choose between work success and life happiness. I'm your host, Nomi Melkyonatan, leadership coach and courage catalyst. Each week, I will share a refreshingly honest conversation about how to trust your intuition, lead from female power in male-dominated spaces, and inspire you to be a more confident force for good in the world. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Female Inner Power podcast. I'm thrilled to bring you this conversation with Hazel Beasley, who is a mechanical engineer by background. She now works as a consultant at Hatmill, and she was recently elected as employee director on the Hatmill Operations Board. So she's a board member. Um, she's also the finalist for the Every Woman Tech Innovator Award which actually we didn't even get around to speaking about. And as it sometimes happens in these conversations, just as we'd finished recording, Hazel had an amazing soundbite. So before I tell you a little bit more details about the actual interview, here's what I want you to hear. Hazel said, I was always pushing, right? So she's talking about her career. She was always pushing. And she said, when I decided to just concentrate on my happiness, that's when the doors opened up and, you know, things got easy. So I just wanted to share that bit with you. It's not in the recording. It was just as we finished recording and we talked about, you know, how things had come together for her. Uh, I love this conversation for so many reasons. Hazel shares uh, how as you heard already in season one, episode two, about how women's careers are not linear in the interview with Jane Sassini and her research. And Hazel's career is not linear and she made some very conscious choices in the years where she had children um, and she was in teaching and then went back to engineering. And we also talk about Hatmill's leadership style, which is teal. We're going to explain more what that means in the interview, but if you're interested in a non-hierarchical form of leadership, a totally different way of leading, you're definitely going to want to listen to that piece. So incredibly important. And right at the end, we talk about what networking is in a way that doesn't make us feel like ick and how the word networking has been hijacked. Um, There are many valuable pieces in here. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. One quick request before we dive into the conversation. I would be so grateful if you would leave a review. If you're in your Apple podcast app, you just click leave a review. Um, I'll also link in the comments to how you can leave a review if you're not in in Apple Um Reviews really help this podcast stand out. It helps give it credibility and it helps other women trust that this is worth listening to. So I would really appreciate if you take a moment just to leave a quick review. And without further ado, let's take a breath. And dive in. Hazel, Hazel, welcome to the Female Inner Power podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here and there are many, many topics I want to dive into with you. Um, First up, when I say female inner power, what does that make you think of? What does that mean to you? 
Yes. Well, I think the first thing it makes me think of is is overcoming challenges because I think that inner power is about overcoming challenges um, and those challenges that are unique to being female. Um, and I think also drawing on that inner power in terms of our experiences, in terms of what our strengths are and what we have to offer, um, and then drawing on the power of other women around us as well is something that's quite new to me and and something that it immediately makes me think of. Mm. I'd love to go deeper on this and maybe we need a little bit of background on you because this piece about and we when we spoke previously and then the you know the thoughts you've sent me beforehand about this drawing on the power of other women because you have been working in a well you're an engineer mechanical engineer I mean working in male-dominated industry I know you've worked as a teacher and then gone back into engineering can you give give us sort of like the, the brief sort of update on on your career and also I'm curious why did you choose <laughs> mechanical engineering like what drew yes. you to mechanical engineering and um, I was looking for something as broad as possible I didn't want to be specialized and um, I didn't want to be restricted uh, by anything um, I still don't really like to be restricted uh, by anything so I knew that I wanted to be in engineering and um, but everything that I looked at seemed very specific like biomedical engineering and and I did nearly go down the automotive path because I like cars. Um, but I spoke to a few um, different companies, big different engineering firms um, at careers fairs. And they often said mechanical engineering is the broadest base and it will take you in every di different direction that you want to go in. So I was looking for something general. And I remember I spoke to a couple of guys from Rolls-Royce um, who were mechanical engineers and said they're career paths had taken them in many different directions because it, mechanical engineering is is the broadest spectrum so yeah that's how I ended up in mechanical mm. Mm -hmm. and then because for us to get to I want to talk about the you know what it's like to be in engineering and and the the piece about you know drawing from other women um but how long did you work as an engineer before you became a teacher and then you went back into engineering and consulting yeah. It was it was probably about two or three years. It wasn't that long. Um, and I did some traveling in between as well. So I was I was quite what you might call quite flighty. Um, when I was younger, I really didn't want to um, tread the conventional path. And um, when I was finishing my degree, all my friends were going for grad schemes and looking at um, internships and just going straight into that corporate machine and I wanted to be free I wanted to be free of education and work and and and, and just find my own route through things so I ended up with a, a, a regular engineering job I wasn't on a scheme I was just I wanted to be out there as an engineer I've got my degree in engineering I want to be an engineer that's what I'll go and do and um, so I got I, I got the job as quality engineer um, but it was a small firm, and I think the, the small firms that are perhaps family-run and don't have a, a breadth of opportunity can be a little restrictive if you're starting out. And so I, I I did that for a while, and I was really I really enjoyed it because it was quite a varied 
um, it was quite a varied job. And, and I worked a lot with like the Ministry of Defence and on interesting projects. So it was, it did keep my attention um, and my focus, but I knew that there was there were other things that I wanted to do and um, things like traveling and um, having a family in the near future. I was quite a young mum in, you know, in general terms for today. And um, so, yeah, I, I went off in other different directions. How old were you when you had your first kid? So I was 26 when I had my first um, son um, and then 29 when I had my second. So most of my friends um, have been in their sort of late 30s and early 40s having children. So a lot of my friends have young children now. I'm 43. Um, but I have two teenagers who are fast becoming fully grown so yeah. 13 and 16 now so yeah it's I think I did the whole motherhood um sort of parenting earlier on in my career which meant I wasn't as established and um, so I've I think I've been late to the party as in terms of uh, becoming established but then have older children so my work-life balance is I think easier to maintain and adjust but you, you it's 50-50, you swap one for the other. If you have children younger, you have a certain set of pros and cons. If you have children when you're older, it's a different set of pros and cons. And then in between is different again. So I think for me, it fitted and suited my life at the time. And it just fitted for me in my, my life and my career. And I think one of the worst things can be if you you feel like you're forced in some way into into a path um, yeah. and yeah I, I think it's really important to do what's right for you at the time absolutely um, and that's a difficult thing to to find well it sounds like one of your core values is freedom is that right Definitely, yes, yes. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so the freedom yeah. seeker, when you then had children, um, you left engineering and went into to teaching. Did you feel pushed to do that? Did, was it hard to combine the engineering job or was that a, a deliberate choice? It it was a deliberate choice. Um, I come from a family of teachers. So I knew, I think I knew early on that that was part of my story it was going to be part of something I did and I I very much went into teaching seeing it as a stopgap I have friends who have um, been specialists in their area and perhaps lectured for a while in higher education in something and and then gone back to uh, uh, you know a different a different job and um, so I didn't see it as being an issue I was I was just taking the choice of well it will really, really help while I have young children if I'm off in school holidays. Um, I've always wanted to teach. It's something that I feel like it's great to be able to do. Um, and I've always enjoyed working with young people. So it it just it just seemed obvious to me to do it. Um, it wasn't I didn't I didn't particularly have a problem starting up with the teaching, switching from engineering to teaching. I didn't I didn't have um I didn't have a, any issues there. I think because there's such a high demand for teachers and especially I was teaching maths. So there's a huge demand for maths teachers. So it's not difficult to find your way in, become established. And um, it's not easy training and becoming a teacher in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of it. Um, but it, it was fairly natural to me. I think mm. 
the switch going back was much more difficult. That mm. was, and it wasn't necessarily, there, there was an element of it being difficult for me, but it was more sort of society and companies that made that difficult rather than me myself. So I was told repeatedly from teachers, you know, sort of fellow teachers, family, people out in the corporate world, you know, not so much friends who were engineers, more people in different lines of work, you know, people who work in, working in law and finance. It was just a, you can't do that. You, you can't, you can't move from teaching to engineering. You can't do that. And I, was, I just kept on saying, but my degree is in engineering. I've worked as an engineer. Why would I not? Why would I not go back to work as an engineer? And I just, I think sometimes being told no is my greatest motivation. <laughs> Someone tells me I can't do something and it's not with good reason. I, that's just the, the spark that I need to just go out and, and say, well, I will do it now. It's just a bloody mindedness, I think. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I leveraged um, anyone I knew in the engineering world to find my way back in. But then it was, that was then, once I was back in, it was learning quickly and trying to gain as much credibility and as much experience as quickly as possible to push myself back up. So you had some years, you were with the kids, you know, mm -hmm. in the school holidays, you transitioned into teaching. And then it was the bit where people said, hey, wait, you can't do that. And you're like, well, watch me. I'm going to go do that. I'm engineer. And then it sounds like that when you, you were super motivated to keep learning and growing and to not just sort of take a back seat because you were a mom. How old were your kids when you went back into engineering? Uh, they were about six and nine, I think, off the top of my head. They were they were still young, but they were old enough to understand what it meant for me. So um, I knew that it would mean me traveling more and me not being around in the holidays um, and me. So it's a different balance. So when I was teaching, I would be working at home in the evenings and at weekends, uh, marking and planning. But engineering would mean that I would be away overnight sometimes and might have longer working hours as in, I'm not in till seven or eight o'clock in the evening, but then had full weekends with them. Um, and when I was at home, I was very much at home when I was working from home. So it was, it was a different balance. Um, yeah. And I had so talked about it with my husband first, um, he was always really supportive, which has really, really helped. Um, I don't think, I don't think I could have done a fraction of what I do without his full support. Um, but then it was a conversation with my two sons to say, this is something that I'd like to do. I won't do it if it means that you're going to um, struggle or you know it's it, it's going to make you uncomfortable in any way. Um, but this is something that I'd like to do. And what do you think? And yeah. they were really, they were great about it and said, no, if you, this is something you want to do, I, it would be great to have you for the weekends because <laughs> they were always, you know, I was always saying, oh, I can't do that because I need to do this marking and planning. And all of a sudden I had four weekends to spend with them. So they saw the, 
the positives um, and and they were fine by that age with being left the odd night um, so yeah it was it was a really it was a really nice balance and it was nice to have their support from early on because I didn't want to not involve them in that decision as well so it's quite a it was quite um uh, it was, is it an affirmation an affirmation that you've got their blessing to go and beautiful be a bit more mm. beautiful that the kids were were in in on that and and I'm curious about um the piece that you said right at the beginning on female inner power is also about drawing strength from other women tell me yeah. tell me more about that and in the in the context also of I guess working as a, as an engineer, which my guess is still a very male-dominated industry. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, unfortunately, but it's getting better. It's getting better all the time, um, and it's great to spend time with it, the increasing number of women. And um, because I'm in logistics and warehousing and in engineering, both aren't particularly heavy on the female presence. Um, so as more women come through in both sets of, of the, you know, both sides of the industry, it's great to have them in meetings and on board. And I, I think I really felt isolated early on in my career. It was, I was often the only female in meetings um, in whole offices. Sometimes it was, it was um, definitely within teams. Um, I, I was the only woman and it was often made quite obvious quite frequently that I was the only woman so you're very much singled out sometimes it's well-meaning sometimes it's a oh we have a, a lady present oh really let's all you know let's all be extremely polite for the lady in the room but all that does is make you feel extremely self-conscious and, and they you know a lot of the time they mean it's it's well-meaning but actually has the opposite effect because then you're just singled out. Um, so that that was very much the experience earlier on in my career. Um, and I think as I've as I've come back into engineering, and even, even when I came back, it was still it's still very much like that. I think though in the last couple of years, it's really started to change. I've felt a change. Um, but I don't know whether that's partly me as well, because I've made more of an effort to network. And um, that's something that I have come to a bit later in my career um, and just engaging more with um, women in logistics, women in engineering and building those networks. And it's great working at Hatmill that, you know, that we have we have a, a higher percentage of women than sort of the industry norm and it's great to have those those women around me um and and also you know it's not just about women it's it's men uplifting women as well um to encourage that just having more women in the industry and more, more women in those teams um, and it's lovely to not be the only woman in a meeting these days um and it's just that strength in numbers yeah, so deliberately drawing strength from others, not being the only one. I mean, it sounds horrendous being that bit of like, oh, we need to, <laughs> it's so demeaning, isn't it? Like we need to change our tone because there's a lady in the room. Like mm -hmm. that sounds like something that belongs uh, many, many, many decades ago. Have you felt, um, have you felt unconscious bias? Have, you know, how, how have you experienced yeah. it? Yeah, I think different places. The the 
yeah the overt so you get you get over for me it sits into different pots so you've got overt sexism um which is just really you can call out really easily and really quickly these days you go whoa that's not on and usually everyone in the room is going whoa that's not on doesn't happen as as often these days because there's so much awareness of it then you've got your casual sexism which I think there's been a real movement on recently um to call that out and that's also now easier to call out go oh but a casual sexism there and usually people go oh yeah but then you've got this unconscious bias and and that's that I think is so much more difficult to call out and to define and to to even just capture in that moment because it just slips by it slips by as something that's unconscious like literally unconscious bias you don't realize and women do it and men do it everybody everybody is subject to an amount of unconscious bias and um, and I think that that's probably something that will take longer to overcome but the best I think the best way to and um, to fight it is to have more women in these industries because the more that we have women in engineering and women in logistics and supply chain and in any other area that is traditionally male dominated um i think it it just that's what's going to break down that unconscious bias of society saying oh well, that's that's a, a man's role or that is even male traits you know things like that it, it, it's just breaking that down and you have to chip away at it and it takes time and so I think that that's something that that will happen over time but we just need to be aware of it as well Mm. um what's the hardest thing you've had to navigate so far in your career that change from teaching back to engineering and I I think I underestimated how difficult it was going to be. There was definitely an element of unconscious bias that yeah. people then, they labelled you as a teacher. That's what you are. Um, and when people said, you can't do that, you can't go back to engineering. Um, and I just felt like I had literally teacher tattooed across my forehead. Um, and I didn't realise it was there. What I started to realise was that it was more their own barriers they were inflicting on me that, that that was their own internal barrier and um, the teachers that were, were saying that to me I was saying well you could go and do something different if you wanted to and they're immediately no no I can't do that and you can't either <laughs> so and it's it, it's a it's a case of you start to see people's own internal barriers and yeah. something that uh, a wonderful female colleague said to me um several years ago now um we, the, there was an issue in one of the teams that I was working in and she said well that's their set of issues not mine um, and the person in question that was sort of causing a problem causing an issue causing a challenge actually was just bringing their own set of issues to the situation and it was a it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because I thought oh yes sometimes in these situations people are actually bringing their own barriers and their own issues and making something difficult for everyone else and actually they need to seeing it as their issue and not yours and that really helped me because it helped me just plow on and confidently in my own direction and say okay 
that's your issue over there. But actually, I'm not going to let that affect me. I'm going to go off in this direction and do this. Um, and I think that's a that was a wonderful sort of realization for me. It gave me a lot of strength and confidence to then have that inner confidence to to go on and and go in a different direction and do something different. Um, yeah, so I've used that one. Yeah, such an important piece of advice. I mean, people speak from their own limitations and from their own belief systems. And when we give other people advice, you know, it's people mostly, unless they're super conscious and really pay attention, then they speak from, yeah, what where they believe the limits are. So very, very important piece for, for, for growth. And um, was there then a moment where you found your power? Did you have like a specific moment where you really felt, or maybe you've had several times where you go like, wait, whoa, I can do something here or I'm powerful or I know my stuff or. Yes. Um, I think on, on a, on a smaller level, the, the sort of the drip drip of the power is when I speak up in meetings I'm not necessarily someone who fills the space. I talk a lot, but I don't necessarily in meetings where there's a focus and an aim and a direction and a purpose for the meeting. I won't be someone who, unless I'm chairing and leading a meeting, I won't necessarily fill a gap in the in the quiet. Um, and I do listen. I do listen a lot in meetings. Sometimes I feel like I listen too much and I don't speak up. And then I think, oh, I should speak up more. But I don't want to just fill the space because if you then fill the space of that meeting by just talking, you don't have any power. If you are, there's actually a power in silence I've found. So I will actively listen. I've worked, I've worked quite a bit on actively listening. And then it might be a small playback and then a comment on that. And I found actually it can be quite powerful being both quiet and then speaking up. So I used to find myself in, um, especially earlier on when I came back into engineering, I was quite quiet because I didn't actually have as much knowledge or as much experience to be able to say, actually, I think this. And now I think it took me by surprise the point at which I did then have that experience to say, oh, actually, I, I think this. And and now I feel the power in, in speaking in meetings. So that's that's a smaller amount um i think a big sort of boost for me in terms of power was actually the power of leaving that one's taken me by surprise a few times um that i felt um that i wasn't particularly um valued or a bit taken for granted in previous jobs um not not in a bad way not in a harmful way just in one of those just piece of the furniture no one's going to notice if I'm not here next week and um, not feeling like I'm much of a presence in a, in a in a team or in a workplace and then leaving that that's happened a few times where I've been really surprised at people's reaction to me leaving and um, especially leaving teaching was an emotional overwhelm that I really wasn't prepared for um, and and that it's made me realize the power that I didn't recognize in myself so I didn't realize the influence and the presence that I had in in a job until I was leaving it which is just something I took on to the next place because I was always leaving for a good reason so 
<laughs> it wasn't necessarily regret, but I used it as a positive wherever I moved to. It's, I mean, we were saying several things there that were important. And, and so just going back one piece, the, the power of silence. And then what you said about like, well, you don't just speak up now, you play back a bit and then speak up. So kind of, I guess, like I'm doing right now, but going back and showing actually you really listened. And it's such a powerful tool for anyone listening. Like you say, you don't just have to be silent. You can just play back something because most people don't even know what they said. <laughs> All the loud extroverts didn't realize what they said. So it's very helpful. It's not being annoying. It's actually grounding everyone and like, wait. Um, and particularly if you play back the bit that was interesting or helpful or unhelpful, um, mm -hmm. whichever way it goes. But, the, you know, the, the bit that you're like, oh, wow, I really hurt that piece. Um, and then this other piece about leaving, which is interesting about how us humans become complacent and don't appreciate each other enough. And it takes yes. someone going to go, oh, I'm going to miss you. I mean, I think this is a great case for anyone listening to go, who could you go appreciate today if one of your colleagues disappeared? How would you miss them if one of your friends, please God, yes. never it will happen, weren't around? You know, why would you miss them? What would you miss them for? For us too. And I think we are very lazy often when we give compliments, we go, oh, oh, thank you, that was great, or I, I appreciate you. And it's like, that doesn't help people see themselves. So that detailed piece of like, here's specifically why I would miss you, or here's specifically why I appreciate you, that detailed yeah. feedback makes makes such a, a difference. Um, yeah. I'd love to segue into, so you're an elected mm -hmm board member board. for HapMill. Yeah. Um, HapMill is not a traditional consultancy. Um, yeah. And and I want to talk about HapMill and the Teal leadership because it's, I mean, it's just so interesting. And I believe oh, it gives me so much excitement to think about how mm -hmm. we could transform organizations. Tell me a little bit about um, you joining HapMill and what you've noticed. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, let's talk about Teal leadership and being a board member and all of these pieces. Yep. Yep. So, and there's so much to talk about here. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. Um, so how I found my way to Hatmill, and it does feel like I've just, I've been searching for my whole career to find myself at Hatmill because it fits me. It suits me absolutely down to the ground. Um, it really does. Um, yeah. It, you, you sometimes I've heard people say about your face fitting. Um, I think about it more as a piece in a jigsaw. If you fit into a company like Peace in the Jigsaw, um, then it's it's a wonderful thing. And I, I really do feel like I do, but it's almost like at Hatmill. I'm being very, um, I'm being quite symbolic here, but it's almost like you can draw your own jigsaw piece to fit in. It's, oh, wow. it, it, and I think that's part of the teal structure um, and bringing your whole self to work and playing to your own strengths um, and and then being able to bring all of those strengths into into the company and um, to be like your best self there so it is a teal organization um, which means we have no hierarchy um, and it, it means different things to different companies but um, in our in our sense it's uh, we have no hierarchy we are all just consultants um, and we work in project teams um, to deliver projects for clients and the projects can vary massively. And um, we all have um, our own skill sets, our own set of experience that we bring to Hatmill. It, it's around supply chain and logistics, but you know, for, for me, I'm an, I'm an engineer bringing in sort of the engineering side of, of, of warehousing. 
um, and everybody brings in their own different skill set. Um, and then we have Simon, our CEO, um, who, of course, you know, and he, um, I think the best way I've seen it described is if we're an ecosystem of consultants or working on different projects, he just looks after the dome of the, the teal um, the dome that sits over us just to make sure that our culture um, stays true and goes in the right direction. Yeah. So he's like a, yeah, an overseer of that. So if we're going to catch anyone up who goes like teal, what, what what are they saying? What are they saying? So it's teal, T-E-A-L. Um, the concepts comes from a, a, a brilliant man called Frederick Laloux. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't butcher his name, but Frederick Laloux um, has a book called Reinventing Organizations. I got the original book a number of years ago and it was hard going. And then Nicola, who's interviewed in series um one of the podcast season one of the podcasts and who's coaching also for hat mill and um, told me the trick so anyone listening if you want to know about teal leadership and i'll explain a little bit more get the illustrated version which i was just reading on the plane this past week it was so good i had no interest in any of the movies on there because i was like, oh my this is it now i've of course heard about teal leadership from a number of consulting colleagues in leadership space and also like you mentioned i interviewed Simon, your CEO, Hatmill Consulting CEO um, and founder on my previous podcast, Leadership Behind the Scenes, because I was so fascinated um, by this culture. And for anyone listening, maybe a quick way to explain Teal and and one of the metaphors I found helpful. So um, Frederick Leloup goes through the history of humans and how we've organized ourselves and you know, I won't go through all the stages, but for example, Amber is seeing organizations as a machine. So this mm-hmm. is a familiar metaphor. Many people know that. And we talk about it like, you know, the cocks and the in the work and like it's a machine. And then you get to green, which is much more seeing organizations as families, which again a lot of people love, but also has certain problems. Um, because also depending on how you feel about your family, but also that piece of people can feel disappointed by their family. And again, there are leaders in the family and there's, you know, different dynamics. And so teal leadership is very much an evolutionary concept and hopefully the future of our world where organizations are like a living organism. So Frederick Mm -hmm. Lou talks in a book about how the brain doesn't have one cell that's in charge of the others. There is not one one cell that decides what happens. And in nature, there isn't, you know, one type of organism that's more important. It's all an ecosystem. And this piece of, like you just mentioned, different, different organisms, different leaders, people, when it comes to humans, take the lead depending on what it is and where they have skills and ability. Um, I wonder what it's like when we live in a world. So I absolutely loved, I highly recommend anyone who's interested in, in, you know, a different kind of leadership and who's ready to be inspired to get the illustrated version of the reinventing organizations. And you can read the other one afterwards, but start with the illustrated version. But What's it like when you live in a world that is so structured with hierarchy and status? We're very much about, well, you know how important you are depending on, oh, so you're a director or you're a VP and depending on which industry you're in and which country you're in, the titles are slightly different. But titles and oh, then you're paid this kind of and I'm, I'm in charge of, you know, I have an 80 80 people underneath me and I have six a department of 600 people and, you know, the kind of things people say. What's it like to be in a place where that doesn't exist what's that been like 
I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's free <laughs> and freeing is my thing. So, um, so yeah, it's you, you just step outside of it, uh, and I already take it for granted that you know because we we I see friends and family who still work in those organisations, and I am free from that. So I feel valued for everything that I bring to work, um, and it, I am not judged on my status um in a hierarchical structure um, and I am judged on the work that I do and um, and how supportive I am to my clients and to my colleagues and um, and it feels for me it's it's about um, true recognition I don't have to please one particular line manager um, and hit a set of targets that have usually been set so that you can hit them within a month and then just not do anything about targets or anything. It seems ridiculous um, now to me to even have that <laughs> system. So you have no targets um, at all? No, no. What do you have no, instead? We, so people will go like, but but how do you know if you're doing well and how do you get a pay rise and how does this work? Yeah, so um, we have a healthy pipeline of work coming in. Um, and there's always a focus on where is the, you know, which what's the next projects that you're going on to after this one? And it's it's that evolution of, of work coming our way and, and the projects coming our way. But um, and we, we can check, you know, we have business updates um, twice a year where we all equally share in that information of how we're doing as a business and then can discuss about how we we tweak things if we need to and um, to make sure we're going in the right direction but it is that it is that um unfortunately it does seem to be for a lot of people in a lot of businesses that they have targets set that don't necessarily have true meaning um or as soon as you hit them you don't do anything after that so it's it becomes restrictive and if instead you're just concentrating on delivering a great project for your clients and making sure that you have some more work to go to next <laughs> and uh, that that's really all you need um, and then great colleagues around you that you you're helping along and working in a cohesive unit to then achieve even better next time so I'm just going to, you know, I'm just imagining some people might be listening and going, wait, so is this like communism? Everyone's paid the same. No, everyone's <laughs> equal. Is this how it works? Like, what is, what is this yeah. socialized? Like, how, how do, so are you all paid the same? Is everyone equal in that sense? No. So we do. And I know that um, Simon's, I think Simon might have mentioned it um, in his podcast as well, that we, we all come from different areas of industry, different levels of experience. Um, so we don't know what each other are paid, um, but we, you know, um, we have feedback sessions every six months, although we do, we just have a general rolling feedback of, um, of praise and constructive um, help along the way. Um, but we do have formal feedback sessions that feed into an, a scoring mechanism for on a one-to-one -one, um, that's just between the two of you. Um, when you're giving that feedback with a colleague and they feedback on you and you feedback on them. So it's it works both ways. Um, and then that your scores from that feedback process with all of the colleagues that you've worked with, um, that then goes into 
um, the, the collective pot of whatever we have to um, whatever we have available for pay rises that year is allocated against those scores. That's a very quick way of summarizing it, but that's yeah. <laughs> you might have to play that bit back again. That's how it works. <laughs> so basically, there are no line managers, but it's much more peer support. And so, even though different people have different experience, no matter how much experience or what your age are, you get to, if you've worked with people, if, if I remember correctly, something like if you've worked with people the last six months, then yes. you each give each other feedback um, and that ends up in, in points. And also, um, what, of course, so knowing Nicola and, and yes, we'll link to her episode. Um, she's then coaching and supporting. I think you have access to a coaching session a month also to kind of going like, wait, I need to give someone something really just some difficult feedback. Have you had that kind of conversation where I was like, ah, I need to give someone, I, I found them difficult. Like, how do I say it in a helpful way? You have then a coach that you can go to and talk to about how you give that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, Nicola and, and Pippa do do a lot of work with um, each of us around feedback time at various points um, on both how we give that feedback, how we provide that feedback, but also then our own understanding of what we've received um, and, and and the coaching sessions um, that we have. So we're, we, are, we have the option, you don't have to take them, but we have the option of um, an, a one hour coaching session a month. Um, and I... I'm always asking for more. <laughs> I always <laughs> for more. I, I absolutely love my coach. It's probably the the thing I I take the most from um, at Hatmill. You know, in terms of our benefits, it's it's the bit I just couldn't do without. And um, I it's it allows me the the space and the time to work through my own headspace um, and and my own sort of work thoughts it, it allows me to get out get it out of my head for a bit and um, but also around feedback time I think it it's really really supportive in in in, in how we structure and deliver and um, that feedback and, and construct those conversations I personally was I feel quite lucky because actually within teaching you do give and provide a lot of feedback you're, you're given and give a lot of feedback. There's, um, there are so many lesson observations that you have to go through um, and you have so many mentors and coaches within teaching and then, you know, line managers that all see your lessons. And then you then, once you're teaching, you are then observing and giving that feedback. Teaching is actually really heavy on feedback. So I came into Hatmill actually going oh I'm all right with this yeah no problem I've delivered different difficult feedback before and so I I felt like I was on a front foot with it but I still 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 helps talking to my coaches about it definitely yeah well I mean obviously I'm a big fan of coaching and I do believe a lot of organization will give a a leader six sessions of coaching and then that's it and I definitely believe in the ongoing quality of continuous that continuous space so that that's neutral and like you said receiving feedback and then growing from it and one thing is hearing it another thing is so what do you so the person that gives you the feedback might say you're too abrupt or you're too quiet or you were whatever 
but they don't necessarily know how to help you with what do you then do with that piece of feedback? How do you then grow from it? And that's where, I mean, there's many, many things, obviously, I believe that coaching can help you with, but definitely having that quality conversation of going like, okay, I keep being told this thing. What do I do with it? So, so important. I want to make sure we talk about you being a board member. Yeah, um, how that came about. So it's something that I'm noticing a lot of women being curious about being on boards. There's lots of talk about the need for board diversity. We need women in senior leadership. We need women on boards. You on the you are an employee director at Hatmill. Mm-hmm. Um, share a little bit about you know what's what's been most important for you about that experience, and and what does it even mean to be an employee board director? Again, do you get paid extra? Do you have extra? Does that take more time? What's it like? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's so it, it's unique to Hatmill to a certain extent. Um, is our board structure because we're teal. So um, we have we have a, a, an operations board and we also have a trust board because we are an employee-owned trust as well. Just to add a, another level of complexity and really, what on earth does that mean? So <laughs> we are an employee-owned trust and we are um, and. Of course, we are a business, a teal business. So we have two separate boards. We have a trust board um, that looks after that whole EOT side of things. And then we have an operations board, which is more about the day-to-day business. Um, so th- both both um, boards have um, employees who are elected to sit on that board for two years so that we have that turnover so it doesn't just become stale so there is a a turnover to give other people a chance to be to sit on the board and they are elected by everybody else in Hatmill so everybody has and for the operations board we have two employee directors and who are elected every two years and and it was January this year that and the nominations um, uh, came about and you could nominate yourself to stand for the for the board and um, so I did because it was something that I, I wanted to have a chance to do and um, I don't think it was necessarily something that I'd thought about previously but I think being at Tat Mill I was uh, I really wanted to get that opportunity and have that chance it was just it was something too good not to go for I was like how would I not go for this this is just amazing so and um, so I, I nominated myself to stand and then everybody gets two votes because there's two employee directors Um, and I was very fortunate enough to be one of the employee directors that was elected so I I've noticed um that I'm more I'm more involved in business-wide conversations now if people are so we we sort of we have and um, some groups within the business who work on different aspects of of things that might crop up it's quite a, a fluid and um, sort of way of working and i i tend to have more of a view now of what's happening out and around the business and um, so i definitely got a, a more of a broad view of hatmill and people talk to me more about general hatmill things rather than a specific project that i'm on and um, it's not it's actually not as onerous or as um a sort of bigger deal as you might say as as i as i um, perhaps perceived it to be you know and it's actually i've actually found it 
immensely enjoyable and it's just something I mean I'm still quite early on um, but I, I'm very aware that other boards work differently and trying to get into other board positions works very differently so I do think that I'm extremely fortunate to to have the opportunity but I do also think that it's important to be be a woman on that board and it's something that's encouraged at Hatmill so that's that's not an issue but I know that in other work areas I've felt that you're almost encouraged to be more male to get on and I think it's really important to embrace being a woman in that position not not necessarily um in terms of always shouting about the fact that you're a woman just just not taking on sort of those traditional male traits that might be um sort of influenced towards you and and it's something that I'm quite passionate about is is making sure that I retain me and the way that I work and not change the way that I work because of of a of an influence outside um yeah, difficult to explain, yeah. but I hope I got my point across there. But it sounds like this is affording you sort of a broader business opportunity and impact and understanding and, and growth. And I also know that the way the teal structures go, it's it's not about politics. There's, you know, like there's an absence mm-hmm. of the whole need for, for politics because it's much more about being self-led um, yeah. and then organizing for different projects and different people taking the lead in different ways. So, I mean, there's yeah. so much good to say about that. Um, we're at the end of our time together. I, I do have one last question before we get to that. If anyone wanted to connect with you, what's the best way of them finding you? Yeah, and um, probably best way is LinkedIn. It's it's such a universal platform now that, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. More than happy to to talk to anybody. Beautiful. We'll, we'll add your LinkedIn profile link. And if you were going to give three pieces of advice to your younger selves, things that you've learned along the way about, you know, like you said, you know, being yourself and making it all work for you, um, what are your three best pieces of advice? Um, In no particular order. um, I think networking earlier on in my career would have helped, um, helped, get me places faster so I think um, if and also just from a um, holistic viewpoint just feel more supportive if I had reached out to a wider network earlier on and um, so that's definitely a big piece of advice I would have given myself and um, to to be comfortable in being unconventional because I felt like I was going massively against the grain so many times um, and when I was younger it made me feel quite like oh am I the am I the weirdo is this not going to work out because I don't want to do I don't want to trod the well-trodden path I I want to go off in this other direction and do something different and actually that's that's absolutely fine and there are lots of people out there going the unconventional route and it's often a brilliant route to go down and and find you know sort of tread your own path so I definitely sort of give myself more confidence to to go in the direction that I felt was right and I think it's that that I know that you've mentioned before about trusting yourself so I definitely sort of embrace that trust in myself 
Um, and oh, third one. Oh, the um, you can't. You you get this whole thing around sort of um, women having it all. So I always felt like I wanted it all. I wanted it all. It was, I sort of came out of that sort of girl power generation, I think, where it's like I want it all. And I've sort of, I've seen various articles uh, over the years about you can have it all, you can't have it all. And I I think if I'd gone back to when I was younger and said you can have it all but define what all is for you because it's different things to different people and it changes as you go along as well. And identifying what that is and then appreciating having it, which you can have. And I think it would have been great to have that definition when I was younger. I I think, you know, that sort of brings us very full circle to your whole story that um, and this is clearly something you'd seen others do. They didn't have to do teaching forever, but this was great for a period. I think that's so massively important for sure, also for men, but definitely for us women and particularly, but even if you're not having children, I, I think that piece of like, there is one phase of life. And for these five years, for whatever reason, maybe I'm looking after my health or children or whatever, it will suit me to have a job that isn't you know, so time consuming or has a one level of pressure and that bit of it's not forever. Like you can change it. Mm-hmm. And you might also have to know that you have to do a little bit of convincing and watch other people's limitations as you shift as you had to experience. Yeah. I do think changing and convincing people you can do something else is I mean, I have been through that myself. It is remarkably interesting how you'd have to show people that you could do something else. <laughs> you don't have to yes. stay in the same. Yes. So very interesting. We could do a whole hour on that. And, yeah. um, super helpful. And then just also to pick up on your networking I noticed actually, as you said it, I was like, oh, actually, I have such an ick when people say networking. But I wonder when you then said reaching out and talking to and I was like, oh, building relationships. Now that feels like the female and empower way of doing it, that this is just about it isn't about networking so I can get somewhere. It isn't about like, hey, can you give me a leg up? It's more like, hey, I just like I'd love to just connect with you and see what it's like Mm -hmm. for you. I'd love to learn from your experience. I'd love to just, you know, not feel alone. I'd like to just have, you know. I'm assuming knowing you and having spoken to now a few times that that's the kind of piece that you're looking for, not just kind of like, who can get me ahead of the game? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I feel like the the word network has been hijacked by exactly that. Yeah, it, It's not about, yeah, it's it's all about supportive relationships for me, um, definitely. And and I, I think having attended a fair few sort of women-specific events, um, I think that it really is a strength of women in general is is the uplifting and relationship part of of work and it's more collaborative and it's less about getting places and going there's a there's a drive there's a motivation but those specific sort of network events and and those relationships in work um are just yeah it's all exactly like you said it's about reaching out and relationship building Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking time to share. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And I would love it if you would rate and review the show as it really does help other women to find it more easily. Remember, no matter what's going on around you, 
it only takes a single breath to start grounding back into your power. So let's take a breath. Feel your power. And go spread the magic.